and welcome to the audio choke here at MMATorch.com. MMA Torch, no, yeah, MMA Torch at Facebook. Also, Audio Choke at Twitter.com and Facebook.com. I'm Tobin Shelby. I'm Matt Collins, and this will be Greg Rowland. Fingers crossed. He's, he's out doing a field report, or what's the deal? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. He's out in the field. Or the John. Or he's playing Mass Effect 2. Yeah? Probably not. Probably not. Can't wait for him to pick up the phone. This should be exciting stuff. I know that uh, the web listeners are just going crazy for this. Will he? Won't he? Stay tuned. Hey, hi, hi. I'm not here. Leave a message, and I might call you back if you're lucky. To disconnect, press 1. If you still want to leave a message for this person, press 3, or simply stay on the line. And we'll just continue with the show. Until quality, we, quality pro- podcasting right there. Until we check back in with Greg here in just a matter of moments. So today we're going to be talking about our wrap-up of Strike Force Miami. A really decent Strike Force um, viewing. It's, you know, it's not pay-per-view, obviously, because no. it's on Showtime. What would I call it? Premium cable offering. Well, that's a wonderful premium cable offering, I thought. It was totally decent, some really good fights, and we're going to be seeing a lot more of two specific people. But let's, uh, let's kick it to you, Tobin. What did you think? Uh, yeah, no, it was, it, was, it was an entertaining card. It, like, ramifications long-term, who knows what it really meant. Um, and there was a couple of, certainly, uh, the Herschel Walker fight, uh, definitely a kind of sideshow attraction, as well as uh, Bobby Lashley to a lesser extent in that he's actually got uh, serious potential. Yes. Um, but they were just, both, both of them were kind of put in the positions on the cards. They were for the name value. And sidebar. Hello, Greg, on my cell phone. Are you ready to do this thing? Uh, oh, yeah, you're away, on your, <laughs> away from your phone for a minute there. I know what you were doing. <laughs> Toilet trees. All right, we'll call you here in just a second. All right, well, yes, so we'll be getting into all that. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was good stuff. Did you figure his number? You just called it. Got it. Hello. And he's Greg Rowland, so Strike Force Miami. How'd you like it? I thought it was an excellent card. Hooray. Huzzah. So, what do you guys want to jump into first? Do you want to talk about Herschel Walker or Bobby Lashley? Hmm. Uh, let's start with Herschel Walker, just because, no offense to him, but, I mean, just kind of go to the, uh, start with kind of, the, like, the lesser fights and then work our way up. That sounds like great, like a great idea. Right. He, he was in the card in a really great spot, too, wasn't he? Right, because he didn't, he didn't open the show, but he was kind of, like, sandwiched in between some other, other good fights, so he kind of, uh... I think for people who might have been turn- tuning in for Herschel Walker, were forced to sit through not Herschel Walker fighting, so maybe they got some more eyeballs that way or something. Who knows? Maybe, but I don't think there was that many people going there for Herschel Walker. Tony Kornheiser. Mm. Well, yeah. excellent point. Yeah, so at least one. And the Kornheiser camp. So yes. thoughts on Herschel Walker, gentlemen? Um, in my opinion, Herschel Walker, I-, I said it before, he was kind of a ratings grab, and I mean, it was hands down the most boring fight of the night. It was impressive, all things considered. You know, he is a 47-year-old in his first uh, mixed martial arts fight. But at the same time, that's not what I watch Strikeforce for. I'm looking to see professionals fight other professionals. 
And it was uh, his first professional fight against a guy who was his third professional fight. And his opponent really, he seemed to be a joke. So um, while I'm glad that Herschel Walker probably brought a lot more eyes to Strikeforce, uh, I think he helped Strikeforce out, it, it really wasn't a fight that appealed to me much at all. Yeah, from a competitive standpoint, there wasn't much to see there. Um, you know, Herschel Walker proved that uh, he's in really good shape for someone his age. I mean, how many heavyweights can uh, sustain that kind of pace, even if they're not being effective? But, I mean, we saw the last season of The Ultimate Fighter, all those heavyweight fighters were gassed after two exhibition rounds for the most part. So, I mean, for someone his age to do what he did is, is good. But, yeah, uh, skill-wise, he didn't. Uh, he, he's got good skills for someone who's put in the, what, two or three months of training he has, but uh, whether that deserved to be on a main card or not, Probably not, and uh, you know it was frustrating to watch because he was really dominating his opponent, uh, Greg. Not, not last name Nudge. Yeah, it wasn't Nudge. I don't know how to say his last name. It looks like Nagy to me. I can guarantee it's probably not Nudge because there's no. It, it doesn't make sense. I can't see it. But um, yeah, no, he 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 dominated an opponent, but he wasn't able to really finish. He did finish the fight. I, I, it was a TKO punches, but um, he could have know, ended it much sooner if he had just had the tools. Yeah, if he had like, and, and again, he, he's he's uh, you know a neophyte in MMA, so it's not to be expected of someone you know who has that little experience. But you know, it was just kind of frustrating to watch that someone on a main card who had such dominant position, who could have gone for so many submissions. You know, he had the mount at times, and he wasn't able to like put it together to really uh, get an impressive win. He did get a win, and I guess that itself. In and of itself, the, the human interest story mm-hmm. is exciting. It's a, a guy pushing 50. Great, yeah. Up, yeah. Great story. Uh, people with actual money, you know, they, they can be watching that and someone that they can relate to. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take years at least and a much more punishing toll on his body to really be uh, competitive in this sport. And I just don't think he has that amount of time. Right, and I don't know if that was ever his goal or, you know, Strike Force's goal bringing him in other than, like, hey, here's an interesting story and this will be an interesting couple fights to follow him. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be a serious. I don't mean, like, you know, his effort or anything like that. Just he like, did a wonderful job. Right, yeah, most definitely. I just don't think he's ever going to be, like, a serious contender or anything like that. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. Um, at this point, it's uh, he, he's too old to be growing as a fighter, and he's not skilled enough to be a top fighter. So, I mean, like I said, it, it's good for Strikeforce to have a guy like that who's going to bring new eyeballs because they are a growing organization. But, uh, I mean... We're not going to see him three years from now fighting Fedor. Three years from now, hopefully, he'll be done. And unless Force goes really, really downhill, hopefully we'll never see him fighting Fedor at all. Yeah. And a sign of weakness from Force was Herschel Walker's opponent. Why would they just throw this um, person without with less skills than he did against him? They, they did almost the same thing. With Wes Sims against Bobby Lashley, well, the same card. Honestly, that's kind of, I mean, that's what you should be doing. You should be putting guys who don't have very much experience in against each other. The thing is, it shouldn't be on the main card is basically it. I have no problem with Herschel Walker taking on Greg Nagy. Um, it, you know, it, it wasn't competitive. And, yeah, we, we saw that Greg Nagy really doesn't have, uh, at this moment, really the skills to compete with um, someone who, who's got uh, kind of the... Uh, what Herschel Walker was able to bring to the table, you know, in this fight, which but, wasn't much, right? But I mean, that's how you that's how you start. Herschel Walker zero o and o was o and o before this, so they had you know, aside from what his training camp was saying about how he's amazing and eats once a day and sleeps four hours a day and 
can bench press people out of the from his guard or whatever. I mean, you got to you got to put him in against someone who you know has a similar amount or you know at least a similar amount of experience. You know, mm-hmm. and you kind of take your chances on whether it's going to be a competitive fight or not. Greg, <laughs> absolutely. That's uh, like I said, he uh, he shouldn't have been fighting a great opponent. There's no reason he should have fought uh, a really tough guy because, uh, you know, it, it was his first fight. But, you know, he, he's the only 0-0 zero and zero guy on Strike Force. There's no 0-0 zero and zero guys in the UFC. I mean, even Brock Lesnar was 1-0 uh, and zero, uh, when he had his first UFC fight. So, uh, you know, I, I don't expect any more from him, but I, I just wasn't expecting a whole lot from that particular fight on the card. Uh it brought a lot of eyeballs, but as far as I'm concerned, that was uh, that was the least interesting fight from a, a competitive stand- standpoint, in my opinion. Yep. Well, another uh, pick from the pro wrestling goes legitimate mixed martial arts type of Bobby Lashley and Wes Sims. Got it on. Yeah, that was um, a slobber knocker. That was something. Yeah, uh, you know, this is a fight that. Uh, I mean, Bobby Lashley is also a guy that could be argued that he's more of a name than skill at this point because he is, uh, you know, he's still being built up slowly. But on the other hand, he is a guy who's got a lot more potential in the long term than a guy like Herschel Walker. And he's been, he's being built up slowly. He's getting more exposure than he may deserve on his mixed martial arts credentials. But he, he certainly, you know, he's going out there and he's winning the matches. And he fought West Sims, who is not great. But is good. You know, he's got a decent record if you uh, actually check him out. And um, uh, you know, Bobby Lashley pretty much just dominated him. West Sims is uh, 22 and 13 overall after this fight. So I mean, that's nothing to nothing to laugh at. And um, you know, I would have liked to see it go a little bit longer. Uh, I don't think that it was quite uh, as dominated. Uh, you know, I, I think he might have been trying to work out of that position, but. He got his ass kicked pretty much, and um, it was a fun fight. I'd like to see who they got next for Bobby Lashley. Hopefully, a little bit tougher of a test next time. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Um, my issue here with this fight wasn't that West Sims was the opponent; it's that really uh, they had a, they finally figured out an opponent for opponent for Bobby Lashley uh, about a week before the fight, which is really uh, I know what happens and everything, but um, that that's. That's really the issue for me with this fight. You know, a Wes Sims who had had a good training camp or something would have been a much more preferable opponent. I still probably would have picked Bobby Lashley over him um, just because Wes Sims uh, really at this point is the journeyman fighter who, um, you know, before he was on the Ultimate Fighter was claiming to be homeless at one point. So, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, he's got, he's he's fought a lot of uh, uh, good fighters. Frank Mir twice, you know. Well, I was going to throw Dan Severn in there, but, you know, the quality of Dan Severn as an opponent uh, kind of varies. But, uh, you know, he, he's got a pretty good uh, resume uh, for opponents, you know, whether or not he's been successful in those outings or not. But he has the experience that, you know, had he been, uh, like I said, been properly trained before the fight as opposed to coming in with like 10, 7 days notice, um, would have been a, a better test for Lashley, I think, whereas this one he was clearly out of shape. And, again, you know, having a, having a beer gut doesn't mean you're a bad fighter, but, you know, it does mean you probably didn't get to put in the time to, you know, get your cardio up or anything like that. And he's always been a bit of a goofball fighter to begin with. Not in a bad way, that's just his style. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it was, um, it, again, not not a bad fight. And the stoppage, um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple stoppages that were kind of, I didn't th- find anything egregious at all. 
Um, but yeah, there's a couple. And I was actually talking to someone at work earlier today about uh, earlier about this that uh, n- none of the savages this uh, the Lashley Sims fight and then the other one I thought of was the Kunin um, uh, uh, Cyborg fight was it wasn't that the savage was like egregious and that like it would have changed the fight had they not stopped it there. It was basically like this fight's going to end in probably 15 to 20 seconds. Let that happen as opposed to. You know, because Sims was was covering up and he was absorbing a lot of a lot of blows, but I mean he wasn't um, he wasn't out, and you know he was still. I guess it comes down to the whole intelligent defense where you know, uh, just turtling up isn't necessarily an intelligent defense, but if the blows aren't hurting, that shouldn't necessarily matter as much. But uh, he he was going to lose that fight it seemed like, so I I really have no issue with the stoppage at all. Yeah, and um, you brought up that he uh, he took the fight on a short notice, which is true. I just don't factor that in a whole lot because he didn't really last long enough to run out of gas. Yeah, that's a good point. And at two minutes, uh, you know, he seemed like he still had plenty of energy when he got uh, TKO'd. Had the fight gone into perhaps the second round, that could have been a different story, though, when he would have, uh, you know, had to dig into the gas tank and would have had a hard time because of the, the training camp. Uh, it's never to your advantage to not train, but... um I don't think it took a huge toll on him this time just because it was such a short fight. Yeah. Well, apparently they did get a second round in because uh, I guess Sims got into it with Lashley a little bit at the post-fight press conference. Quickly broken up, but, uh, you know, I like how someone, and I think Bobby Lashley attracts this, but people bring the, uh, give him, uh, you know, a little bit of the pro wrestling uh, treatment. Uh, This happened with his fight with, uh, I think, Jason Guida. Uh, They got into a little bit, you know, because afterwards or beforehand? Before just, or afterwards, just kind of because he he ha- comes from the pro wrestling background. You could invite that, not even right. on purpose, right. but yeah, yeah. just coming from there, yeah. Well, and even in the fight, I didn't notice it the first time I watched it, but, you know, uh, after, after kind of uh, revisiting the fights, uh, you know, after they the, the opening bell, Wes Sims invited Bobby Lashley in for a test of strength, and he went, he went bite, but uh, <laughs> that would have been kind of entertaining. Well, we can move on to the Christine Santos and Marlos Kunin fight for the uh, women's championship. Yeah, the 145 belt. Um, that was a that was a good fight. Uh, in my, in my eyes, I, I was surprised because you know I last uh, last last time we talked about this, I I, I predicted it was going to end quick, uh, either because Santos was going to get a quick, uh, you know, within a couple minutes of the first round, uh, catch Kunin with a good combination or a, a big big punch or something like that, uh, or. Kunin would be able to get a, get Santos on the ground, who's to this point really unproven uh, on the ground, uh, and and pull off a, a slick submission or something like that. And um, I, I was kind of happy to see the fight go longer, and Kunin was able to weather a, a major, good amount of punches before finally succumbing. And well, San- three forty of the yeah. third round, so that uh, that went oh, quite a while. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and Santos did a really good job. He actually stuffed a couple takedowns and was able to defend against. Um, those takedowns very well, which it was good to see her develop in that that aspect. Yeah, she also, you know, she landed some decent ground and pound. Uh, she she wasn't afraid to go to the ground. She she scored a couple of takedowns, which seemed pretty crazy to me at the time. Uh, she seemed like she would certainly have the advantage standing up, and she certainly has a strength advantage on the ground. Also, um, you know, as Kunin was going for submission attempts, uh, Cyborg was she was powering out, but she, she showed more submission, defense, and actual skills than a lot of people were expecting. So I think she showed off uh, a lot of versatility in this fight, and Kunin showed off 
quite a chin and a good amount of heart and surviving as long as she did. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely interested in seeing both of them fight again for sure. And, yeah, it is good to see uh, Cyborg develop, like, uh, at least learn more about her as a fighter. Uh, really quick, going back to the Bobby Lashley fight, I was going to mention, the one frustrating thing for me, you know, uh, with the Sim, with him fighting Sims, is we didn't really learn anything new about Bobby Lashley in the fight. Because, you know, uh, even if in a non-competitive fight, sometimes you get to see different aspects of a fighter's game. And we knew Bobby Lashley is good. He has the collegiate wrestling background, and, you know, he got a takedown, and, did some ground and pound, and we knew he could do that before. So we didn't we didn't see any new aspects of his game. Whereas in the cyborg fight, we got to see her. Um, both fighters uh, kind of utilize different, uh, a little bit different skill sets at times. Yes, yeah, yeah, good. I was actually uh, impressed by Kunin's stand up too. I mean, she was she was losing the whole fight, but there was never a point where she was truly getting dominated until around the time the fight got stopped. She was uh, she was certainly holding her own standing yeah. up for uh, most of the uh, 14 minutes of the fight went on. Yeah, yeah, very good uh, good outing for both of them. So, did you enjoy that women's uh, match, Greg? As someone that hasn't seen a whole lot of uh, women's mixed martial arts, which I think most of the public hasn't either. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you take away the fact that we're women, and it was just an outstanding fight either way. I've kind of compared women to uh, just lower weight classes in terms of mixed martial arts because I think there is, are a lot of similarities. Um, you know, this is a 145-pound uh, championship, and in a lot of ways that was uh, much like what you would see in a 145-pound uh, featherweight title at a WBC. And you don't necessarily know a whole lot of the fighters, but they, they generally put on outstanding fights. And with the women's division, it's certainly, there's not as many of them as a general rule because uh, it's still kind of, I don't want to say underground, but it's not like a hugely popular thing yet, women's mixed martial arts. So, um, you know, I think this was an outstanding fight. Uh, I think both fighters put on a, lot, a good show, and uh, hopefully we get to see more of it. Wonderful. All right, well, shall we move on to Nick Diaz, that thug, or is there any other matches you want to talk about from Strike Force Miami? Well, we got to, we got to mention the highlight of the evening for sure is the uh, Robbie Lawler's uh, pretty amazing come-from-behind knockout over uh, Melvin Manhoof. One of the two former Dream fighters, or maybe they're still under There's the contract still, from Dream. Right, it was basically a, the, what they call, would call a talent exchange. Yeah, uh, promotion even. Strikeforce is really loose with their contracts. Uh, they let fighters fight wherever they want, basically, which is good and it's bad at sometimes. And the fact that they've had their heavyweight championship, Alistair Overeem, not defend his title once because he's been busy fighting in K1 and stuff. But at the same time, it allows them to do these trades with Dream, and uh, they get to put on some pretty good matches. And um, this was hands down my favorite fight of the night. Uh, Mel Melvin Manhoof was just kicking the hell out of Robbie Lawler's leg. I mean, he was kicking it so hard that Robbie Lawler's leg was flying up and hitting the cage sometimes. And he was just brutalizing him for about three minutes and 30 seconds until he gets caught with it right on the chin and uh, gets dropped really quickly. And then a left hook to put him out. Yeah, and um, like I mentioned it before, I love I, I do like uh, one of the things about Strike Force's production is they do show like the 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 numbers after the fight, and those can be deceiving sometimes. Percentages, uh, you know, of punches landed and such. But uh, you know, it was pretty impressive to see that uh, Robbie Lawler basically landed only three punches that fight, and they were the ones that ended it. 
compared yeah. to all the strikes that uh, Melvin Manhoof had thrown the, the entire uh, round. Now, one thing I want to throw out there real quick is something that I've read uh, recently, a little interview with Robbie Lawler since then, is that he has watched a lot of Melvin Manhoof's videos and feels that when he's, you know, he's got the taste of blood when he's going for the kill, he has a tendency to uh, to drop his hands. So he didn't come out and say, like, I'm going to, you know, let him hit me and then I'm going to, you know, do the rope-a-dope and try and knock him out then. But he, it kind of sounds like that was the strategy he was going for where it's, uh, you know, I'm going to let him think that I'm hurt or at least uh, more hurt than I really am and uh, wait to strike then. Right. You know, I kind of got a feeling much after uh, many Scott Smith uh, come from behind victories where, you know, it's an exciting fight and you're, you're glad to see it's a very entertaining fight uh, the way it ends and such. But it's hard to be, uh, you know, and Robbie Lawler should be lauded for the way he, he won that fight. But at the same time, what can you really say about that? Because he really did get beat up for all but like 10 seconds of that fight. So you didn't see, we again, it's... We didn't really learn anything new about Robbie Lawler. Um, you know, there was times where he was getting beat up on the feet where he, he was just covering up where he could have easily gone for a takedown, and Melvin Manhoff's not, not really good on the ground. It, it, it's hard to accept that Robbie Lawler did all that on purpose. Right, and I understand, um, and again, going back to like the Scott Smith thing, where the, he's totally aware inside of his head that all he needs to do is land that one big punch, but does that mean you don't? try to mix it up any other time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we know Robbie Lawler is, hits very hard, and he once again proved that, and, you know, uh, all the props in the world for him being able to end the fight the way he did. But, yeah, it's just one of those things you're like, ooh, there's nothing really to build on from the fight, I guess, that we, um, from what we saw. But, you know, it was a very good fight, and I'd be excited to see, um, you know, I like watching Robbie Lawler fight for, you know, years. Yeah. And, Mel Manhoff's always entertaining. And it'd be an absolutely brilliant strategy, like if Robbie Lawler actually planned all that out, that he says, I'm going to sacrifice my body until I see the perfect time to just knock this sucker out. And I'm not, I certainly wouldn't say that, you know, that he's a liar or anything like that, but uh, but that would be a, a wonderful strategy. I'm just thinking that you'd have to be, maybe he's that much of a badass, and I'm just going to take punches until I find that right moment to, to put him out. Well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely plenty of fighters who, you know, you, you can you see in a fight, you know, it takes them a minute or two. It's, it's the timing, finding the timing and, your, and the range of, of your opponent. Uh, you know, Fedor does the same thing, you know, but it's just the, you know, are, are you just going to stand there and literally absorb punches until that moment comes? Or are you going to be a little more proactive about it? And as as you're, you know, being a bit offensive yourself, also be gauging their their timing, their striking, that sort of thing. But again, yeah, well, it was great I, I knockout. Think the, I think the one thing that kind of uh, makes me at least believe it a little bit is the fact that he only did throw seven punches the entire fight. So it, it's not that he was necessarily hanging back completely. I mean, he, he did throw a few punches or he threw the knockout punch, but he was certainly picking his shots in that fight. If, if you only throw that, I, I, certainly he was on the defense a fair amount too. He was covering up sometimes. But in uh, for a brawler such as that to basically throw one punch every 30 seconds, I think that tells you something. Yeah. Well, and especially with him, I mean, apparently one punch is really all it, all it takes. I mean, Manhoof went down. It was really his the first punch that landed put him down in slow motion, and then he, he followed up and really finished the fight there. But uh, Yeah, the second one is what really put him to sleep, uh, put the eyes on the back of his head. Oh, and how. That was... 
just picture perfect. Yeah. And we, it, hopefully, Melvin Manhoof is okay. I mean, normally people get knocked out and they're back up in a, in a minute or two. But he he was uh, he looked catatonic there for a bit, but uh, quite an impressive knockout. All right, time to get thugging. Nick Diaz, what do we think about that? The other Diaz brother? Yeah, yeah that was another great fight. Uh, both guys were brawling for most of the fight. There was a little bit where uh, Diaz was holding Zerumkis up against the cage and his knee in his uh, thigh for a little bit, and that was not the most exciting part. But other than that, it was uh, both dudes were swinging. Diaz got robbed. It almost looked like he was going to get put away for a little bit, which would have been a surprise because he is a guy who was known for having a, a chin. And... Um, Shortly after that, he got back up and dropped uh, Zerumkis and him away. And uh, Marius is also the second fighter from this card that's in Dream. Now, were these two fighters, um, Marius and um, and uh, Melvin, were they good representatives of the Dream franchise? Was were these uh, good matchups or? Yeah, well, uh, Marius Zerumkis is actually, uh, I believe, uh, one of the Dream champions uh, at, at his weight class. So yeah, I mean, they're and Melvin Manhoff's been, been around for a while. So yeah, um, the thing is, it, it's kind of interesting, uh, you know, as hardcore fans and people who are familiar with, you know, Japanese MMA, even though they might not be able to pronounce it properly, you know, um, we forgive you, Toby. Yeah, yeah, but uh, <laughs> you know who these fighters are coming in, but uh, for the general public. Um, you know, who's this guy fighting for a belt who I've never seen before? Uh, you know, if you just watch, you know, MMA, American MMA. Um, but, you know, uh, so so it's interesting that way, I guess, that they don't bring him in for, like, you know, not necessarily a tuna fight, but give him a fight or two before they give him a shot at the belt or, you know, at least do some uh, more extensive promo work beforehand. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess the argument, I guess the counter-argument to that is people who are watching Strike Force on Showtime uh, are seeking it out specifically. It's not like you're going to happen upon... That for the sure. most part. I was actually more hinting towards a strike force versus dream, you know, like a I hear that deal. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I hear that's something they're kind of they've been talking about. And they, I, I, I sounds like they want to bring uh, Shinya Aoki in uh, to fight Gilbert Melendez, which hmm. would be fun. That would be a fun fight. But, but to yeah. answer your original question, Matt, I would say that they were poor represent, uh, representatives because they both lost and uh, lost pretty impressively. They were uh, outstanding fighters, but looking back, uh, Dream would have gone 0-2 if this were a Strike Force versus Dream event, which I don't know that it. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't. Although Dream just recently put that on uh, with uh, Sengoku, I believe it was. I think it would be very fun to have like an entire card that was yeah, uh, co-promoted uh, Dream versus Strike Force, something like that. That'd be very uh, entertaining to see. But yeah, I mean. Um, well, at the same time, you, you mentioned that uh, just be, because they lost, they didn't really represent well. And, you know, I, I guess that's sort of true for the, you know, if you're just from a kind of very broad perspective. But at the same time, they did put, they did put on good fights. I mean, um, they both had very good showings. And, Zoram, you know, Zoramkis and Diaz basically um, had a full fight within the first round. I mean, it was big back and forth all within about five minutes. So. Right on. Well, uh, do you have any extra thoughts on that fight? On the main event from Strength Force Miami? Um, you know, just for Diaz, um, you know, it, it's funny. Um, he showed good boxing for an MMA fighter, which is always kind of one of those slippery slopes. Because you know, he's, he was, uh, uh, him and his brother are both kind of known for landing um, not necessarily big power shots all the time, but just the um, the volume. And that was, re- again, reflected, you know, in, in Strike Force showing the stats kind of towards the end of the fight. Uh, I think Diaz ended up landing within the first round about 80-something punches or something like that, which is... You know, for an MMA fight, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, 
But uh, it, I was watching a couple other friends, and, you know, Diaz has that awkward style, and I think a lot of that is because he does rely on, he's got the long reach, and he, he does have, a, he has just a very solid chin. But, yeah, I mean, for, for an MMA fighter, he's got some pretty solid boxing, and it's kind of fun to see him uh, work that a bit. Um, you know, it, it was, you know, a little disappointing not to see uh, Mario Soromskis get that, uh, he, he's got a, he's well known for his, uh, his, his kicks, and he didn't really get to throw any of those, so that would have been kind of fun to see if Diaz would have been able to absorb those. Absorb those as well. Yeah, well, Diaz is a guy uh, who who was originally he was a jujitsu guy uh, with Caesar Gracie. That's that's what he was known for. But he, his his boxing has improved over the years, and it's just gotten better and better. And you know, you look at his last five fights, and uh, four of them were uh, TKO by way of punches. Uh, he, he's got a submission win over Scott Smith, but he pretty much relies mostly on his boxing now. And granted, a, a lot of the guys that he's fought aren't the best guys. Um, Frank Shamrock and this Marius Zeromskis were the two more notable guys. But, um, you know, he, he gets a lot of wins with his stand-up, and it seems to really work for him. And he seems to have some power. He, he does kind of have that pat, 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 pat thing going on where it, it doesn't look like it's really doing a whole lot. But uh, at the same time, he's been dropping guys. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned that Scott Smith uh, submission, and that was basically set up by, again, the... A large volume of punches. So e- even if it doesn't get like the TKO, it it, it does does work out pretty well. Um, yeah, I mean Diaz has a pretty good resume. Unfortunately, um, you know he he you know back when he was in the UFC, he fought some pretty quality opponents at the time. Uh, he lost a lot of decisions to him, unfortunately for the most part. But he did um, briefly have a win over uh, Takanori Gomi before that was overturned for um, you know some sort of reason, maybe yeah. something. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. And um, I, I guess overall, it's uh, the one thing I kind of noticed with Strike Force, and I know they're still kind of it's still within the year that they've come onto like the national stage and got the Showtime deal and everything. But you know, there's not as as much long term uh, planning. It doesn't seem with them. They you know go one or two fights at a time, which is which is totally uh, acceptable considering you know, um, I mean the UFC has been long for was around for years before they were able to really get uh, steady you know, scheduling and such. But uh. You know, it's just like, okay, well, who who would Diaz fight now? And is is there a line of contenders? And there's really maybe like, there's, there's really not. You got one one or maybe two other guys who who you could think of, but then uh, there's there's not a there's not a, it goes back to the depth issue, which I think you know over time they'll be able to build. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hopefully they'll be able to do more co-promotion fights because like right now there there may be one or two guys for Diaz to fight at uh, now that he is the welterweight champion, but um. You know, I can't think of a whole lot just off the top of my head that are under Strike Force contract. So it would be nice if Dream could send them somebody for him to fight. And uh, Jake Shields is tied up with his championship middleweight, so he couldn't uh, even go down to fight him right now. So they need to find somebody, and uh, hopefully Dream can hook him up because uh, they don't want to just be trying to survive off UFC cast offs. That's not gonna uh, that's not gonna do them any good, I think. So. Uh, hopefully they can get some people from Japan over there. Yeah, and the, you know them being, I mean, they're, they're, they've stated before. Uh, Scott Coker has stated before he's not trying to compete directly with the UFC. They're they're happy being like the number two brand. Um, so you know, I think th- by doing the, a way to do that is to offer uh, the co-promoted fights because that's something the UFC really does not do. Uh, you know, they did it a couple times back in the Pride days, and Chuck Liddell got knocked out. So. Uh, but they kind, of, they kind of got burned on that one anyway. Pride never sent anyone back over as was yeah. initially promised. 
Right. So I think Strike Force can really kind of put a name, get get their name out there more by being, um, you know, having good competitive fights, but also having fights that you're not going to see in the UFC, whether it's you know co-promoted fights between, um, you know, Dream, that sort of thing, or you know, uh, building the women's divisions as well. So. Well, good night of fights. Yeah. So good, good job, Strike Force Miami. Oh, we really, really quick, we do got to mention um, the uh, the uh, Jay here on um, Joe Riggs fight was on the undercard, and we kind of complained a little bit about that, and maybe this should have been on the main card. Uh, it was supposed to be streamed on, uh, I believe, EA Sports or the EA MMA website prior to the main card. Uh, I wasn't able to access that. I don't know if you guys tried, but it sounds like they were having some serious problems with uh, basically the online stream, which is which is too bad. But uh. Uh, yeah, but I didn't even know about it until uh, it was too late because uh, the strike force on Showtime was tape delayed here in Alaska. So yeah, we actually yeah. did not see it live while on the Internet it would have been live. So we had a, uh, a three-hour gap. Yeah. The time the fight actually was on until the time that I was ready to watch it. Well, did the strike force prelim screw up for you? If so, leave a comment. You can also uh, go to the... The forum, um, audiochoke at twitter.com and audiochoke at facebook.com. Big old sports weekend coming up. Um, the, the mega plate or something like that. Uh, the ultra cup, uh, something. And, uh, UFC 109 relentless is going to be happening. Gentlemen, thoughts? Prayers? Yeah, I'm pumped. It's, uh, it's not the greatest card. There's, there's no championship matches. But there's a lot of fights that I think are pretty interesting. Um, let's start with the main event, Randy Couture and Mark Coleman, the fight that should have happened uh, over a decade ago, but it's happening this weekend. As much as I would love two old, wrinkled guys to, you know, wrestle each other to the ground, uh, I, I'll be able to see it tonight uh, yeah. on Saturday. You know, I'm really not opposed to the fight. Again, it comes, and I guess this is one of my things I always kind of harp on, it's the positioning on the card, because I don't really mind... Um, it doesn't really have huge implications for like the uh, the light heavyweight division, um, but it is kind of like one of those Hall of Fame legacy fights uh, that again I'm not opposed to seeing. It's just kind of having to be the main event when it's not really. And no offense to either fighter, I mean they've got great careers, but you really at this point uh, not as relevant as it would have been back when they were in their primes, that sort of thing. And especially for Coleman right now, you know Randy Couture is still in. Good standing with everybody. And Mark Coleman, he's a well-respected fighter. Um, good to him 10 years ago. But um, it just seems to be like a fight that they're just kind of, you know, digging up and, and flopping it down. And um, it, it's not the fight that we deserve. Right, yeah. It would have been fun to see it years ago. But, um, you know, they've got name value. I mean, yeah, uh, Coleman is coming off the win off of Stefan Bonner. But before that, he had, uh, you know, two losses. Granted, one of the, you know... It was to to Fedor and uh, Shogun Hua, but uh, yeah, which there's no shame in either of those two. No, no, but um, it, it yeah, no insult at all. But yeah, I, I just believe both fighters are kind of past their prime, and you know, but uh, yeah, yeah I, again, I'm not. I think it'll be a fun fight and uh, interesting, but a you know, kind of probably a decision fight, and uh, who knows? Well, my counter to that because I've I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of people kind of whining about how. Uh, UFC is throwing this at us for the main event. And I say to look at it this way. Consider the next fight down, Nate Morcart versus Kale Sonnen to be the main event. This is the one to hook people. This is the one to get people that, you know, don't really watch every UFC, 
But hey, Randy Couture is in it. He's the bomb. And Mark Coleman, isn't that guy from like 10 years ago who was just crushing people? This isn't the fight that's going to be the, the really good fight for the hardcore fans. But the hardcore fans are going to buy every pay-per-view. They're going to buy it anyway. This is the fight to hook in, um, you know, everyone who is kind of on the fence about the, the pay-per-view. This isn't the best one out there. It, it's not. Um, there's a handful of better fights on the card. But it's the two guys who have been around forever. And like you said, it, it's a legacy fight. It, it's a name fight. And, uh, you know, neither is going for a battle run. But they've earned the slot, you could say, just from uh, seniority purposes. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And, yeah, I'm definitely not opposed to the card overall. And, yeah, you made a good good point with the – I think it does go back to the name value thing we were talking about. That was Strike Force even. But, yeah, I mean, uh, people who watch or are really devoted to MMA are going to watch most of the big uh, – all the big fight cards, regardless of kind of what the, the marquee fight is. You know, and this does have a pretty uh, exciting undercard, so I, I am looking forward to that. Is Randy Couture and Mark Coleman, is it still an even fight? Are these two, these two guys were evenly matched 10 years ago? Um, is it still that way? I know that specifically Mark Coleman has gone through a lot of changes since then. Yeah, I think Randy Couture has aged better, and, you know, he's still, you know, he, he says it every time he fights, and, you know, he, he's shown it a bit. You know, he's still learning new aspects of the game. Uh, he seems to, you know, still still be picking that, those sort of things up, and you know he's still got a good, uh, good uh, gas tank, that sort of thing. Whereas Coleman really gassed badly against uh, uh, Shogun in their fight, and that sort of thing. But yeah, uh, who knows? I mean, they are kind of they're both wrestlers, but they're different, a little bit different styles, even. So uh, it, it's hard to say. I don't know. This is a fight uh, that is actually a little harder to predict, I think, than uh, before I really sat down and thought about it. Because Randy Couture is. He's certainly the more skilled mixed martial artist of the two. He, he's never knocked anyone out standing, as far as I know. But he, he's got decent boxing. He can, you know, bob and weave and hit people more than they hit him. And he's got some jujitsu. He submitted Mike Van Arsdale. But Mark Coleman is the more accomplished wrestler of the two, and that is certainly, you know, as well-rounded as Randy Couture has made himself, that is still his strong point. He is a wrestler. So this is the kind of fight where Randy Couture could be the more skilled fighter of the two, but could lose the takedown battles, and if Mark Coleman's got the gas tank, he could end up winning the season. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't really surprise me to all see Coleman end up in top position for a majority of the fight and just kind of ride ride the fight out, but uh, we shall find out on Saturday. All right, well, let's just go crazy with this card. What do you guys want to talk about? What's What what uh, stands out to you? I do like well, the... Mar- oh, go ahead. go ahead. I was say, the real main event to me is the Nate Morcart versus Kale Sonnen fight. Yeah, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, this is pretty much a number one contender fight for Anderson Silva's middleweight title. Uh, Anderson will be fighting Vitor Belfort in a upcoming UFC, but um, the winner of that, which... One can only assume will be Anderson Silva unless Vitor Belfort does, in fact, bust out of Vitor Belfort and uh, ends up winning the title somehow. But um, I, I think the winner of this fight is going to get it. Nate Morcart has completely changed as a fighter since his loss to Anderson Silva and has gone on a quite impressive winning streak. He lost one fight to Talos Ladies where he ended up getting deducted two points and ended up losing the decision as a result of that. But... Besides that, he has pretty much dominated all of his opponents. Kale Sonnen, on the other hand, is really not a very exciting fighter. I mean, he's a wrestler. Um, 
takes people down and kind of he holds them down and he does some stuff and he's got some decent boxing but he doesn't really have any power in his boxing and he, he certainly goes more for the uh I, I don't even want to he necessarily goes for the attrition style like uh Nick Diaz as it looks more like he's literally trying to score points as he's he's throwing punches as is evidenced by his uh his fights with Paulo Tiano or uh, Paulo uh, Filio where he uh he just kind of patted him and patted him and he he knew he had the fight in the bag and he just kept doing it um but he is an outstanding fighter, and he really kind of came out of his shell in his fight against Yushi Okami in his last fight, where uh, a lot of people thought he was going to lose that fight, myself included, and he pretty much dominated a uh, you know a top ten opponent. And uh, whoever wins this fight, I think, is, is certainly in line for the top ten, and has already started talking smack about Anderson Silva in anticipation of possibly winning this one. Yeah, that's been very. I, I agree with. Uh Pretty much all, all that you just said, Greg. Yeah, Chael Sonnen is very. Uh, yeah, th- that last fight against Okami was very impressive. I mean, it did go to decision, but it was much. It was a much more exciting fight than uh, people who have seen some of his other fights might be might have been used to. And yeah, uh, Mark Ward. I mean, he he he. You could make an argument for him even before this fight for getting another shot at at the title. But um, this this should definitely solidify things there. Um, but yeah, um, I. I did like the uh, the interview uh, with Chael Sonnen uh, floating, making its way around the interwe- interwebs, uh, where he basically accused Anderson Silva of uh, basically the only reason he doesn't speak English. It's not because he can't; it's because he doesn't like us. <laughs> yeah, which is a, an interesting argument. I've never actually heard uh, heard somebody accuse something of anything even similar to that. Yeah, Anderson Silva is too good for us English speakers, and uh, so he will not grace us with. His English, according to Chael Sonnen. Wow. So that's, uh, but that's good. That's, um, you know, never, you never want to look past an opponent, but it's always good to um, uh, get the war of words going so you can kind of make your case for, you know, a potential fight down the line. That is good marketing. And who, who, kno- who knows if he really believes it or not. Uh, maybe one day Anderson Silva will surprise us all. We'll see. He'll do Yankee, Yankee Doodle Dandy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Tobin, what are you looking forward to? Um, I do like um, Mike Swick. Uh, I believe Mike Swick's still scheduled to take on uh, Paul Tiago. Should be a fun fight. Uh, it's yeah. kind of uh, he, that was switched out. Uh, Mike Swick taking over for uh, Josh Koscheck, who had uh, had an had an injury and couldn't couldn't get ready for this fight. Uh, that that should be fun. Um, so he, he gets to play the revenge card against uh, you know step up to the honor of his teammate who who lost. Uh, Surprisingly, to Paul Tiago a, a couple fights ago, um, for not from necessarily even a competitive standpoint, but just for the pre-fight hype, I am pretty excited about Matt Serra Frank, Frank Trigg. Uh, that fight might go really quick and not not even be exciting, but um, just the amount of uh, words that those those two will be able to throw at each other uh, before and probably after the fight should be quite impressive. I'm looking forward to. There's a lot of really good names on here um, that have been popping around UFC for quite some time, and then getting a, a brand new viewing from the public of you know what they're really made of. Uh, like Mac Danzig yep. is one that's being thrown out there, and he's he's familiar, but I don't think, and a lot of people like myself haven't seen him fight enough you know we've seen uh we have vague images uh from the past but you know really get to see him in a new light but uh, the name has stuck in our minds more than the fighter so get to you know re-know him and uh mustafa al-turk and 
uh, et cetera, et cetera, like that. Uh, actually, you just mentioned Mustafa Al-Turk. I believe he's actually been, uh, I have to double-check that, but I believe he's actually been pulled off the card because of visa issues. Oh, no. So uh, I'm actually... That's disappointing. All right, yeah. well, uh, Dan Miller is another one. Dan yeah, Miller versus uh, Damian Maia should be very good. And you mentioned Mac Danzen. He, uh, he does have a name that is incredible. Uh, it, I'm going to remember that one for the rest of my life. But he was the uh, winner of the Ultimate Fighter Season 6. And uh, he's fighting Justin Buchholz, who, uh, Matt, you and I actually saw fight live in the AFC once several what? years ago. Oh, really? Yeah, he uh, came out with pink hair, and uh, he was the winner of the main event the time we uh, saw our high school friend Seneca fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was fighting Mac Danzig in the UFC. Woo! Woo! Well, that's all um, fun. Yeah. Um, you touched on uh, Matt and Frank Trigg. That has been a great war of words. Um both those guys have been talking all kinds of smack about each other. Matt Sarah has said that he can't lose to a guy who has a tramp stamp, which uh, I'm not saying that Frank Trigg does, but he does have some tattoo art on his back. And, um, you know, if, if a guy has it, it's supposed to be called a gigologo anyway. Yeah. Well, you, you, can't, um, you, you can't just say, I can't lose because of something, because we no. all know about yes, a, a titties. Yeah, <laughs> you can lose the titties. Yeah, that's right. Um, Damian Maya versus uh, Dan Miller should be a good fight. Damian Maya was undefeated until his last fight when he uh, got knocked out pretty brutally against uh, Nate Marquardt. And uh, Dan Miller is one of those guys that's always really tough, um, but not necessarily the most skilled. And uh, Damian Maya is the exact opposite, where he's he's the Brazilian jiu-jitsu ace, quite possibly one of the most accomplished jiu-jitsu guys in the sport of mixed martial arts. So that's really going to be a, a clash of styles there. And uh, the, the Mike Paulo Tiago fight, I just think it's kind of a that uh, UFC has really punished Paulo Tiago for winning his fight against Josh Koscheck. Um Yeah, they threw him that, in the deep end. <laughs> yeah. Well, not only have they thrown him since the, in the deep end, but since defeating Josh Koscheck. He's basically been punished into having to fight all of Josh Koscheck's teammates. This is a weight class where uh, that team, they don't dominate, they don't have a championship, but they pretty much control the way to the championship. Uh, There's no way you're going to get a title shot without beating Josh Koscheck, John Fitch, or uh, Mike Swick. And uh, (laughs) Paulo Tiago is really having to run the gauntlet here. Yeah. If he can bust this out, then uh, I, I know they're going to make him fight Josh Koscheck again. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah, I think Koscheck definitely wants that uh, kind of revenge, that loss. And uh, But, you know, if it doesn't work out for uh, Paulo Tiago, he can always go back to being a, a Special Forces badass, which uh, is pretty awesome that he does that as, as well. Uh, that is pretty cool. Yeah, I was I was uh, looking up, and it still looks like it's as of, uh, you know, Monday, February 1st, kind of still unconfirmed as whether... Um, Mustafa Al Turk will be uh, taking on uh, Holis. I hope I'm saying this right name, uh, last name right. Is it Gracie? That sounds familiar, sort of. Yeah. Holes Hol- Gracie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it, it sounds like there there potentially was some uh, visa issues with Mustafa Al Turk. Um, so there, he may or may not make it. And if if he can't, it sounds like they've got a couple uh, backups uh, planned. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it'll be fun to see Gracie back in the in the octagon again. Mm-hmm. Whoever he's fighting. 
Oh, cool. Well, that's uh, a lot of good stuff to look forward to this weekend. I'm pretty yes, excited about it. Anything uh, coming up in the future, Tobin? Anything that will be forgotten, guys? Um, you know, noth- nothing about last uh, the Strike Force card or the upcoming UFC, but I did uh, see earlier online today, um, we were talking about the legacy fight between Couture and Coleman, and uh, it looks like Strike Force may or may not be thinking about one of those them- themselves. Um, apparently, uh, Pat-, Pat Miletic has been making noise that he is uh, in talks to fight Frank Shamrock. I wouldn't kick him in the mouth. I know that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, uh, again, that's one of those fights that, um, it, it, you know, I'm not opposed to it, depending kind of where the placement on the card is. And it's, it's one of those fights that, again, would have been much more exciting, you know, five, ten years ago. But, you know, uh, it, it'll be a fun fight, I guess. You know, again, a, a legacy fight type thing where it's uh, two guys in the, in the tort, basically at the end of their career and kind of, you know, get that that one big last name, uh, last uh, big name fight in. That would be an interesting one to see, but um, it, it would be hard, I think, for Militic to pull it off. Uh, not only because Frank Shamrock is bigger than him physically, but also he's been more active lately. And Frank Shamrock doesn't really fight a whole lot either. But you look at the last few years, and he's had a few fights, and uh, they, they've been certainly bigger fights. He's fought Kung Lee and uh, Nick Diaz. And uh, a few other ones. So while he's not been on the winning end, at least he he shouldn't have nearly as much ring rust as uh, I would think Pat Militic would have. Yeah, I agree. Well, excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. Audio choke at Twitter dot com. Fanus over at Facebook. Leave a comment. Go to the forum. Let's start a discussion, please. Until next time. I'm Tobin Shelby. I'm Greg Rowan. And I'm Matt Collins. Thanks for joining us. actually a Q knob. Got it. Can really hear you. <laughs> Feedback. That's an awesome picture. Hey, hey, hey. I'm not here. <sighs> we should just open the show with that. We should. <laughs> we will.